All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And again, this show is for anyone that's interested in making more than one person healthier in this world. And today I'm super excited for two reasons. One, this is one of our first video actual podcasts. As a lot of our listeners know, we've been doing the audio format for a while, but I'm very excited to have Ed Marks on the show today. Ed is the CIO for Cleveland Clinic. And uh, we're going to, I think, have some great discussions here. Really appreciate Ed's background. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. I'm very, very excited to be on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, one thing we like to get started off with is uh, origin story. So maybe you can tell us your background, how you got started and tell us, tell us your story, Ed. Yeah, happy to. So I really started in healthcare when I was 16. I became a janitor at a healthcare facility and it really opened my eyes, really. I mean, I was 16 years old listening to punk rock or something in my headset and my Sony Walkman. But there was something about being in that environment where I was uh, mopping and sweeping and carrying out the garbage in this hospital. And it really spoke to me. And it's hard to explain, again, as a 16-year-old, that sense of, hey, I should be in healthcare. And much like your mission, you know, about impacting the world and one person at a time or with, with, with others. And so I knew that I was supposed to be in healthcare. I just didn't know how to manifest itself. And, you know, I was more interested about girls and more interested about sports and all that kind of stuff. But... I just kind of knew in my heart, you know, that something was in there. So anyways, uh, fast forward a little bit. So I'm going to college. I had to pay my own way. And I needed a scholarship. And the only scholarship I could really get was being part of the Army Reserve. And they would pay part of your, your expenses. So I was like, wow, this is great. So they asked me, what do I want to be? I took a test. I could be anything. I looked at the choices. One of them was combat medic. I was like, yeah, of course, you know, because that's the healthcare call. And so I did, I did that for a couple of years and through college and eventually became a army officer, but still there was a draw in my heart towards healthcare. So when I went to graduate school and was graduating, I, I just knew I had to get a job at the local community hospital. So I tried, I tried really hard to get a job there. It was very difficult because it was a utopian college town. You had to have a PhD, you know, to work at McDonald's type thing. So, but I tried for any job. And finally, I got my first opportunity as a temporary anesthesia tech at this local community hospital. And all because of that combat engineering or combat medical experience that I had had. And so I got a job and one thing led to another. They saw that I had some skills and they asked me to stay on and do some, help them with computerizing or digitizing their operating room. And so I knew a little bit, not much about technology back then, but I helped them with that. And then eventually I got a job in physician relations. So there was all about healthcare, but I just didn't know exactly what. So in physician relations, I helped I helped the administrators with their practices and helped provide education. So one day, the IT team came to me and said, Ed, can you help us market this product we have? So it's basically you dial in like on a modem. You dial in and the physician can see their electronic health records. This was like mid, late 80s. And so I was like, sure, I've got relationships. I know a little bit about marketing. So I helped them and we went from 5% adoption to 95% adoption. And so I was like, wow, it's kind of cool. And I learned more about technology. And then uh, my second child was born, and I won't go into details for sake of time and drama, but it was a very dramatic uh, birth. And uh, she ended up being born floppy, meaning without life. And uh, so they had to resuscitate her, and they did, but she still had like these three life-threatening issues. And my wife was, had done miserable through the procedure as well. And so she was an inpatient, and they wanted to life-flight my daughter to a level one trauma nursery uh, in Denver, Colorado, so like an hour away. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? What do we do? And then it dawned on me. I was like, wait a second. The IT department, I've been helping them with this software where 
with a modem, physicians can dial in and see the record. And so why don't we drive down to Denver, implement that at Children's Hospital, they can dial in, see the record, talk to the docs on the phone, and take care of my daughter without moving her. And that's what we did, and she ended up becoming Mensa, 18 years old, she graduated from college, so she's perfectly normal other than a, a, a short stint when she was a teenager, she was like a goth for a year. Gotcha. Other, than, <laughs> other than now, she's good. So after that, I was like, oh my gosh, now I know. It's healthcare technology, and so, even though I had no formal education in it, I had a passion about it. It's like, wow, we can use this to save people's lives and save my daughter's life. So uh, I immediately applied for a job in another town working IT, started off as a director, and then I was given successive opportunities over time for, to work for fantastic organizations and teams that led to me coming ultimately to the Cleveland Clinic. So that's kind of in a three minute nutshell, that's the story. No, that's, that's great to hear. And um, yeah, no, that's an exciting story and, and just a really great origin story, you know, with your daughter and how that um, really sparked, you know, it seems like your passion and, and kind of opened the doorways for some other things. And it's just a, it's a great example of how something at the time that seems traumatic and troublesome um, or, you know, could just, you know, spur to, to something that's so much more greater. So that's really exciting to hear. And um, uh, let me ask you, Ed, um, what are some of the things you've seen so many things in IT from health records? And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the blessing of being able to just access a record for someone. What, what are some of the things that you've seen in health today or some of the topics? I mean, may have anything to nothing to do with an EHR or health IT system might you know, there's people on the show that have talked about CRISPR and, you know, how when we get to Mars, we're going to need to have different bodies and things like that. But what, what are some things in health that have you excited today um, and just in, in the just overall in the arena of health? Yeah, I think, you know, it all comes back to your personal experience. So for me, it's like digital health. So it's, it is healthcare related, but I've always been a big believer ever since the, my traumatic birth experience with my uh, first daughter and always been a big evangelist. But I had a recent, something happened to me that really helped me get to the next level. The first thing was, it all comes around sports. So I was like getting into triathlon and duathlon. And in order to get to that next level of competitiveness and duathlon, I had to have a coach. My coach was like super data driven. And I was like, I was, I understood analytics and the importance of it, but it's like, oh, I'm not sure. But anyways, she was all about, she was, she had little to do with speed. She's like, I don't, I'm going to take it off. You know, you have these little computers on your bike and on your watch. And she's like, took off the speed and she put on my, on my uh, clock. She put uh, RPM and she put wattage and she put heart rate. And those are the three data elements. And then she taught me, like I did a bunch of tests and she taught me like the perfect, where those three uh, data points come together in perfect alignment to maximize your body and your output. And so I figured that out, that sweet spot. And so whenever I race, she always had the sweet spot for me. It was never about speed because speed is a natural byproduct of those analytics. Anyways, I went from, you know, kind of average to a little bit above average because of that, not because I ran faster or ate better or lost weight or whatever, or got a new bike. It was really about this data and I saw the power of data analytics. So that was the first thing. So since then, I'm all about precision medicine and predictive analytics and all this sort of thing. But more recently, I had another experience, which was quite fantastic. So I was finishing, so I was on, because of all this data stuff, you know, I made Team USA and I was on the duathlon team. And every year you have to go back to the national championship, which then uh, if you make the national team, you go to the world championships and you put on the Team USA uniform, just like the Olympics and you get to race and it's like a rush. And 
So I've been on the team for four or five years. So in April 7th of this year, I was racing in this race for the national championships. You have to like, again, perform well in order to make the world championship team. So I'm running along my last run and I suffer. I didn't really diagnose myself at the time. It happened a couple minutes later, but I suffered a massive heart attack. So it's called an oh, wow. LAD. Yeah. It's called an LAD or Widowmaker. So most people just like fall over dead. Yeah. But I was running. So I was like, dang, do I stop? But by, if I stop, by the time someone comes to help me, because you know how you know the races are a big logistical nightmare and hard to get ambulances to you. And by the time they even figured out I would need an ambulance, you know, who knows what would happen. So I was like, damn, I'm gonna sorry, dang, I'm gonna outrun this thing. And because uh, I know at the finish line there's a tent the medical tent. And uh, so this was in South Carolina. So anyways, I finished the last couple miles. I could tell I slowed down. I had this massive pressure, but I knew I was okay to make it to finish. So I did. I sprinted at the end because there was someone in front of me. Can't let someone beat you. So I was sprinting this guy at the end and uh, get across the finish line. Then I was like, I got to check myself in a tent because there's definitely something wrong. Well, they weren't sure, but give me one second. I'm going to go off camera for a second. Sure. So, because I happen to have it right here. Oh, nice. Earlier today. <laughs> well, anyways, one, I won't tell you the vendor, but one of these devices and one of these devices uh, oh, nice. saved my life. Okay, so the, the ED physician that was in the tent, man in the tent for the race, he took my EKG and he sent it off to the yeah. hospital. Yeah. And uh, within a minute, and they realized he's having a heart, massive heart attack. So you got to send him in. So they send me in, and on the way, they do another test just to verify how things are going. And when I got there, to the cath lab, the interventionist cardiologist comes up to me. He goes, he kind of had a smile. It was kind of weird. He smiled. He said, I feel terrible that you're here because this should never happen to someone like you. But I want you to know that I've been talking to your Cleveland Clinic cardiologist and your team back there. And so they had the same waveforms produced by this, transmitted through this. Wow. And um, immediately. And they had already conferred about how to take care of me. This was all within, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Wow. So, you know, the good news, you know, I go to cath lab to start taking care of me. But after I get out, so I get out and they send me home pretty quick. I'm doing all right. They send me home with this. A couple devices. One is this. There's a Bluetooth blood pressure. And then the other one's actually on my phone. But you just use the push button on the phone. Nice. The, you know, your thumbprint. Yeah. And it tells you your VOT or whatever. I don't yeah. know. But anyways, so now my doctors are monitoring this, getting real-time status. And so they're adjusting my med in real time. So usually a patient, your meds get adjusted when you go to your 60-day, 90-day follow-up appointment. But what's really critical in recovery is heart vascularization. And so I don't want to wait 60 days, right? If they can do something better right away, let them do something better. So they were adjusting my meds. Then they had gave me a watch, not this watch, but I had a different watch. And they're like monitoring my heart rate all the time. And then they gave me this patch that I wore on myself. Very nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> And so uh, they were monitoring me and, you know, I'd get calls in the middle of the night if something was wrong. Um, so it gave you confidence, you know, like trust yourself, trust your body. And so then they started allowing me to run again, and, but under a certain threshold that they monitored because otherwise I would care less. I'd be a bad patient. And so then, so then my times went down from uh, – I'll give you a long example, but I try to wrap it up here. Um, my times went down from you – know, so I'm usually a six-minute mile – person. So I started off at 13 minute mile because, you know, I had a heart attack. Uh, but through all this medication adjustment and this monitoring, I got down to uh, uh, nine minute miles. And then uh, they let me go to 130 heart rate. And last week I was doing seven minute mile, seven minute and five second mile. And at 128 heart rate, 
Wow. So for those who track those sort of things or run, you know that it's unheard of. And but I give all credit to all this this type of stuff. Yeah. Digital health. And yeah. so it helps with so many things: access, quality of care, patient safety, experience. I could go on and on, but those yeah. are like some of the biggest things that people deal with today. And but we have the answers today. Yeah. And, and those answers are only going to get better. So, anyways, long answer to your question, but <laughs> I'm like so excited about like what we do. We have the yeah. privilege to serve in this capacity and bring oh, yeah. these healing instruments to bear. Amen. No, yeah, no, this is great. I mean, great to hear. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a blessing that you know, even after having a heart attack, that you're you're okay. Yeah, you know, I can relate to this. So my dad had that widowmaker heart attack, but he he passed away. He was 58. And, um, you know, a lot of the IOT and all that stuff wasn't around, but yeah, I'm familiar with the, the EKG and the, how you could detect AFib and it's just great. You know, the more that the, the mobile phones advance too, you're able to track a lot of this stuff. And, you know, that's exciting that they were able to give you a patch and kind of, you know, track everything. I'm curious out of all of those devices and experiences, if today, what, what's one or two things, um, you know, for someone that has heart problems or something like that, um, you know, the, the best monitoring method that you've seen, is it? Is it a combination of? Is it the blood pressure cuff? It's the, it's the AFib. It's uh, what 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 are you most uh, passionate about in terms of your, you know, the device or app that you use the most to track, you know, your health these days? Okay, so finishing my story because I forgot an important point. I got to go to the World Championships on July seventh, nine days oh, later. Nice, and, nice. And finished representing our country. It was awesome, and I wasn't. Awesome. Like, I thought I'd be last place because I'm limited by my heart rate. I right. Go. Anyways. Um, well, let me answer your question a little bit differently in that, um, one thing that I think we need that we haven't fulfilled the promise of yet is how to predict right. what happened to me, because I, I'm not the only person who doesn't qualify as your typical candidate. Right. So, you know, if I was a hot, you know, smoking a pack every day and drinking a bunch and eating poorly and overweight and not exercising then you kind of know already you've got some issues and you're probably being monitored and you're probably on drugs. But right. what about the person who takes care of themselves Yeah, and does, has no idea, Right. no another market. My cholesterol is fine. My heart rate was fine. My blood pressure is fine. No idea. What technology can we use? Even scans. So like today, so I even have this done. There's a scan. Oh, and I'm going to mess up the name. So I won't even try it. But basically it looks at your arteries and it tells you like how clogged they are, aren't clogged. And there's a lot of uh, back and forth in the medical literature about whether that's a valid thing to do or not. Do. Sure. Uh, but you can tell people, you can say, hey, that person is 80% clogged. You probably should get like a stent or something or you better take some meds. But for me, that wouldn't have mattered because I was only like 4 or 5%, which is very natural for my age. So, uh, and there's not, nothing you would have done because 4 or 5% is like a big deal. You're 50 some years old. Right. So, um, so, but there's got to be something, whether it's taking the promise of genomics so the whole genetic background stuff, but even then, you know, from a looking back at family tree, there couldn't tell much, you know, that I was at risk. Um, my dad's like in his mid eighties today and he's like not the model of health perfection, you know, cause of sure. the way he's, um, but his heart is like awesome. So, uh, but looking at genomics data, IOT data, clinical data, bringing those three together and then figuring out some sort of predictive modeling. Yeah. I'm convinced that there's probably something, and we're looking at it now. So I'm working with my docs trying to figure this out. There's probably something that maybe could have predicted that I would have this plaque explosion or something. Right. 
And so, because that's what I, I care about, not only the sick people, because we want to bring health to sick people, absolutely. So I believe in that, and we do have courses of treatment for them today, but we don't have anything for people who are healthy. Right. I think we need both. And so that's where I'm like, okay, what can we do for the healthy people as well as the sick people? So yeah, absolutely. That's our mission. Take care of the sick. Uh, but at the same time, for those people who are well, how do we keep them well? Right. So the technology. So I don't think we've invested enough in that particular area. Yeah. When you say favorite app and stuff like that, I'm like, man, what if there was <laughs> sort of take all this IoT, genomics, clinical data, and sort of map out, hey, uh, you're at risk or you're not at yeah. risk. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, we, you know, we, I think about it as well. You know, it's kind of like you have this convergence. So, like, I, I have this, you know, stigmatization of, you know, my dad was a Puerto Rican male, 58, had a heart attack. I need, I'm just, you know, predisposed to the same thing. Right. You know, how do I know if I'm going to run 30 wind sprints on a weekend that the same thing's not going to happen to me? How do I predict that or get a welcome boundary line of like, hey, Anthony, you got to be careful. It's funny how, you know, you got 23 and me in the genetics side that's getting consumerized and democratized, but there's not this extra layer of predictiveness that can, you know, talk to your Apple health data, your Fitbit data with the genomics, with where you're at, and then, you know, inputting scenarios of like, you know, I have this duathlon coming up, right. you know, it, it, should I be nervous or concerned? Should, something that throws up a yellow or red that says, you know, you know, you're fine or, you know, hey, you you know, this is the type of test you should get done before that, you know, and so it's, it's interesting that really, if there's something like that that exists out there, you know, I know, you know, on our end, we're always looking at predictive models and looking at our data and things like that. But it's interesting you say that, yeah, I, I think there's a huge area of opportunity there from a patient perspective, but also just from a, you know, an empowerment, a consumer empowerment layer. And so yeah. it sounds like there's a, there's a product sitting out there uh, waiting to be made. But uh, Ed, this is, this is great. Um, let me ask you, I guess one thing, going back to the, 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 um, the competition that you won, um, maybe you can describe that a little bit. What is the difference between a duathlon versus like, what, what's the difference between a full like triathlon versus duathlon? Maybe you could describe that difference. And um, what are the benefits or differences? Yeah, just between the two, just yeah. for our, our listeners. Yeah, so triathlon and duathlon are governed by the same governing bodies. Team USA is the same one that does the yeah. Olympics for us. And the difference is, you know, with the triathlon, you're doing swim, bike, run. In a duathlon, you're doing run, bike, run. Mm -hmm. So for me, the reason I chose to specialize in duathlon, so I do triathlons as well. I've done a couple Ironman. I've done Escape from Alcatraz a couple of times, you know, swimming across San Francisco Bay. Nice. And um, the difference for me is just about being competitive. I'm a very competitive person. So what I noticed, like the last time I did an Ironman a couple of years ago, Boulder, I, I was in the last 25% out of the water, no matter what, how many swim lessons I've taken, I just cannot swim straight. So I, I add like a half mile to my 2.4 mile swim in an Ironman by going like this. And so I'd come out of the water in the bottom 25% of the entire field, and I'd finish in the top 25% overall. So that shows you that my swim's really bad, but my running bike's really good. Nice. So I figured out, and I hate swimming. Yeah. Well, because, you know, I'm not good at it. <laughs> and so, uh, and it's harder to find swimming time. Yeah. So, like, the, I go to work early, and the clubs around me don't open until 5 or 5.30, and that would be too late. And, but bike and run, I can do at any time of the morning. And I do. I run at Odar very early when it's dark out, and I bike indoors a lot, so it doesn't matter. Um, so, so that's the difference in the, in, the, in the duathlon is run, bike, run. So it's easier in terms of finding opportunities to train. Uh, to do a run bike run 
but they're just as hard. The lengths are the same. There's usually like a sprint, which is a short race, might be mm -hmm. taking an hour. Then there's the Olympic race for both, which might take you, you know, two and a half hours. And then there's an Ironman for both, which takes you, you know, depends again on your fitness, but anywhere from nine, nine hours to up to 17 for some people, but probably the norm is nine to 15. And so in two weeks, I'm doing the, uh, world championships for basically the Ironman version of duathlon in, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll be my last long distance race because uh, given the amount that, given the, my time and ba life balance and, and my heart attack, it's like, I'm just going to focus on the Olympic focus. level races. Yeah. And it's hard. It's like this weekend I spent, I met up with my training partner at 5am. We, we meet in this garage and we bike uh, and depending on the day and what the regimen is, but, we might bike three to five hours on a Saturday and a Sunday morning from five to 10 and then run. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time. And so when you do an Olympic level race, it takes, you know, a fraction of that time. So interesting. Interesting. And, and um, you know, in terms of like IOT and connected devices, do, do the competitions for, do you train with any, uh, anything specifically or like for the competition in itself? Like, are you able to wear devices or heart rate monitors or anything like that or yeah yeah it's very like i was telling you in, in earlier it's very data driven very right. analytic driven and really it makes a difference so i'm not the fastest person but one of the reasons i do pretty well is i have an excellent coach and support system mm -hmm. and the coach has me so data driven she was a, a disciple of uh, i'm gonna mess up the name but this famous gymnastic coach from russia originally or uh, yeah. Parole or yeah, I forget. <laughs> but that guy was like, not necessarily data driven because back in the day they didn't have that much data, but he was intense. And so she's like really intense with data. And so, yeah, everything. And she watches or my coaches, they watch all this data. So you can't cheat, but they'll, they'll watch all these data points and they tell you and they train you the discipline stick within that zone. So it's hard sometimes. Cause again, I'm very competitive and on the run, especially in the first run, everyone's like, guns a blazing because you know they're everyone's you know type right. a competitive and she's like no 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 let them go you stick in your 155 heart rate so on the run my main data point is heart rate and she would be like stick to 155 155 do not go over so you have to let all these people pass you and, and finish you know that first run and maybe a half mile ahead of you and you're like oh my gosh i'll never catch them but you actually do because they're not data driven mm -hmm. not, some of them are but most most of them aren't and so they'll run out of gas. And by the time you get to that last run, I'm passing everyone up. I'm still sticking my 155 and I'm like chill and I'm passing them up like one by one by one by one. And it's amazing how the, the data really helps. So yeah, I have uh, my chest rate monitor now all on the watch, which is nice. nice. I did wearing that thing. And then my bike computer. Yeah, I live and die by that thing. Got it. With the three data points, nothing to do with speed. And what about diet? So what's your, what's your mindset or philosophy on diet now, whether you're training or leading up to a race? And, and you know, I know for myself, I, I, these days I feel best when I'm eating really super low carb and, you know, sometimes I'm dipping into ketosis every now and then and all that stuff. But what's yeah. your, what's your mindset and what do you, what are you uh, promoting these days that, or what makes you feel the best? You know? Yeah. You so uh, yeah, obviously clearly diet is like so key and being hydrated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my coach also tells me basically, you know, what to eat. And so I try to follow very religiously what she has prescribed for me to eat. I'm very fortunate. I'm almost afraid to admit it, but actually it makes sense from a financial base as well, is I finally got like a chef that prepares my meals. Nice. So this person comes over to my house while I'm gone and 
he, he, he connects with my coach, which is actually my wife's now my nutritionist. He connects to my wife. She tells him, you know, what percent carb and fats and all that kind of stuff. And he fixes all the meals like three or four days at a time. So in my refrigerator, it's all like, here's your two snacks a day and here's your three meals in the day. So I eat like mm -hmm. five times spread out throughout the day. And it's very precise. And if I stick to that, I do really well. But if I cheat, like I've got this, like this sugar thing. It's like, give me some lemon heads. <laughs> uh, lemon heads are my weakness or gummy bears. But nice. so I'll cheat every once in a while. But if I stick to that, it does really well. But it's actually cheaper. Doing what I'm talking about, it's not like over the top, like just for uh, rich people or something like that. Right. That's how I used to think about it. But actually, the time it takes to shop, he does it. Right. The time to prepare meals, he does it. I can devote that time to something else. And when you look at the total cost, it's cheaper than my former lifestyle of going out to eat. Right. right. So I'd be busy at the office. I don't want to go home and cook. And so I'd go out to eat and then I'd overeat and I'd spend way too much money. So yeah. this is cheaper. Yeah. So it's, I love it. It works great. Probably the decision fatigue too. I mean, I can imagine just the drama around, you know, eating, decide what you're going to do, what to shop and all of that. And, or even if you're ordering groceries now, now the big dilemma is like, oh no, the Instacart shopper is taking longer that, you know, it's kind of like yeah, first world problems, knows. but, but that's, that's a, that's a interesting, yeah. yeah, to have meals prepared. Yeah. 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 So that's a nice little perk. Nice. Nice. Um, Ed, I want to be respectful of time. So maybe we'll probably just have a couple more minutes here, a few more minutes, but you know, one other question we, we ask, um, our guests is, you know, so we talked about, you know, your origin story, what, what has you excited today? So past, present, and now future. So what are some things like in the future? I know you mentioned some things like obviously predictive analytics and we've got all this great data that should be harmonized and we can predict off of it. But what are some things about the future that have you excited in terms of health or maybe some things that you believe that haven't been proven yet? Uh, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. So I would just like to see the continued proliferation of all yeah. things digital, right. uh, but specifically, you know, this whole concept of precision medicine. And so what's really cool about working. And so I'm humbling about working at the Cleveland clinic is a lot of smart people. Right. Like, genius and so they'll come to my office and they'll have this great idea and they actually like programmed it on the weekend so all these doctors come in and they'll tell me this great theory and it sounds great and i'm thinking to myself that sounds great but i bet you know how would you do that and then they're like and then they bring in their laptop and open up this so i was working the weekend and i programmed this thing and i'm actually doing this and so some of them are doing things like are so wild and and amazing so we try to bring them into the fold and harmonize and and work together and collaborate and put out product we have an innovation arm we have a ventures arm and mm -hmm. uh so some of these things actually come to come to product but i've got we've got some docs that are figuring out a way whether it's um with oncology or other areas where they are taking genomics or they call it nomics and uh iot and then the clinical data we get out of the record and doing this uh more precision medicine on on actual medications and so i don't want to give you the specific example so i'm trying to think of a way to make it generic but it'll blow your mind that they're figuring out um, enhanced ways of, of providing the right medicine to the right person that's saving people's lives or extending lives, in most wow. cases, extending their lives. So again, I, I'm hesitant to get into some examples, but sure. precision in terms of the medicine. And so what, what I've read about and think about is taking this to the next level and having 3D printing of prescriptions. Nice. So it's really like, like I used to take no meds. Now I'm taking four meds for at least a year till I get through sure. heart revascularization. And, um, and, but it's sort of, even though it's, it's somewhat specific to me, as I mentioned, they, they've been adjusting my meds based on outcomes of my 
my athletic performance, um, it's still not precise enough mm. because is, they know that, okay, if, you know, like if you have a headache, okay, ha- yeah, I don't know the exact percentage, but 70% people, 70% will respond to Tylenol. So everyone gets Tylenol. Well, guess what? 30% it's not. Right. And so it's a waste of money, time. And, and let's just say headache is an easy example. Okay. So what, you know, your head hurt a little while longer, but what if it's something like more serious? Right. And so you want to be precise right away and not experiment. And so I think we're going to get to that level where we're going to say, okay, you have a headache, again, using a silly generic example, but I think everyone understands where I'm headed with this. You have a headache, okay, based on your nomics and your heart rates and your all the clinical data and your clinical history, um, we know that Tylenol is not going to work, but aspirin, 81 milligrams is going to work. And it does. Or or better yet, with 3D printing, it's, it's a mixture of some pieces of aspirin, some pieces of Tylenol, and... It's very specific to you, Ed Marks, and here it is. We're printing it out right now. Think about all the money it's saved, too. You know, you're saying that process and mechanism would need to be at the pharmacy and a direct connection yeah. between the hospital and the pharmacy. And so it's a new type of unit process that does this combination, and it's based off of you know, yeah. your holistic genomics and everything. Yeah. Quality, safety, cost. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, I, you know, you have friends and family too. It's like, you know, as I'm getting a little older, my friends and family, like some, some are starting to develop cancers and things like that. And so, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, cancers, you know, it'd be great to be able to under, understand the medications and procedures based on, you know, and be able to make that the treatment a little bit more precise. So that's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, awesome. Well, Ed, this is, this has been great. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you know, I guess one thing is, um, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience about, you know, what you're working, um, you know, things that have you excited or, or anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? And, you know, if there's, uh, any, you know, good ways to contact you, if you want to connect with the audience. Yeah. I would just say, uh, one thing is like, you know, approach everything with passion because we need yeah. major change in healthcare. Yeah. We need transformation and we need to find people of passion who are going to do the right thing and mm-hmm. not just like, uh, punch a punch a clock, but change. We it's, if it's not us then who's going to do it. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. Well, Ed, this is great. And then, um, so yeah, I think our listeners will definitely appreciate that. Um, and, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with you if for anyone that would like to, to, to reach out to you? Yeah. LinkedIn is probably the best. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Connecting on LinkedIn and happy to communicate with people. Super, super. Well, uh, Ed, great having you on the show. Again, this is Ed Marks with the, uh, he, with the Cleveland Clinic. He's a CIO for Cleveland Clinic, so really excited to have him on the show. And uh, Ed, it was great to connect with you and hear about your story and your focus and your passion. So thanks so much. Thanks, Anthony. It was a pleasure to be with you. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. Bye.